I'll be right back. Blog Talk Radio. I'm Raina Stark, so you don't have to be. Desperate Housewives is not a G, PG, or even an R-rated show. So, bad language, bodily function, dirty talk of any kind might upset you. This is not the show for you. You know that's why you tuned in. Desperate Housewives is brought to you by the incredibly wicked one herself, the amazing Dorothy Morrison. Check out www.wickedwitchstudios.com for all of your witching needs. And this is it. Today is the last day. You haven't gotten your Halloween candles, you better go get them. Because come 11.59 this evening, you will not be able to get them anymore. So, at least not this season. Because season is happening now. Get your orders in. Get them while they're hot. Get them while they're fresh or they're all lit by somebody else. Check out the social media page for www.wickedwitchstudios.com on Facebook. And tell her rain at you. Okay. So, my wonderful guest today, the amazing Deborah D'Angelo, whose new book is called Sacred Massage, is with me. But before we launch into talking about her book, I just got to tell everybody, I don't know. I just got back from New York. I have had barely enough time to wipe my own behind. You all know what it's like when you go see a family member. One is dying. One has got their one foot out the door. Um, my mother, wow. Guys, I got to tell you, these fake Christians, watch out for these fake-ass Christians, boy. They preach about the love of Jesus, but when it comes to money, they're ultra-grubby. I've got a story for you. Oh, shit. Deborah, you're on here with me, so I just got to relate the story. You, You tell me what you think about all this bullshit. So, okay, so my auntie... Everyone knows my aunt passed away a week ago tomorrow, and she didn't have family in the sense of she never married, never had children, and I come from a particularly crazy household, and my aunt loved me enough and knew that my father was trying to disinherit me because I did not stay Christian. He wanted me to stay Christian. I was like, yeah, it's bullshit, and I ran off and didn't do it. So my mother is still Christian. But, oh, my God, when it comes to money, these people are just unbelievable. She actually had the nerve to tell my cousin that everything in my dead aunt's apartment, now my aunt was her sister, my mother's sister, she told my cousin not to touch, she didn't say not to touch anything. She said everything has to be preserved. And my cousin's like, what does she mean by preserved? I said she means don't touch anything, leave it all for her. She's like, you know, I thought that's what she meant, but surely she wouldn't mean that. And I'm like, yeah, you don't know who you've been dealing with. Everybody looks at my mother and thinks, oh, what a sweet, frail little old lady. My mother is a fucking shark, okay, a shark. Watch out for these people. They'll smile in your face and talk about love, Jesus. 
And I'm not saying that there are no true, sincere Christians. I'm just saying I ain't met them, maybe one. In my entire 61 and a half years of life, I have met one, exactly one true Christian. Tell you that um, the rest of this is bullshit. She is about as grubby as could be. And she had the nerve to show up with my cousin yesterday at a bank and claim that the inheritance that has my cousin's name and my mother's name, that my mother should get all of it. My mother actually had the nerve to say, well, this is all supposed to be mine. She said everything was left for me. I was like, whoa, somebody else finally got to witness the bullshit from the Christian. I was astounded. Deborah, your thoughts. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's, the irony is I was just driving along today trying to get on the freeway, and um, there was, you know, hardly anyone on the whole freeway, but this one car was right where I needed to merge on, an old yeah. Buick, like a like an 85 uh-huh. Buick. <laughs> wasn't going to let me on, wasn't going to scoot over, and so, you know, I had to brake and slow down, and I went around, and... I went, I got to speed up because the first thing that came through my mind was, thanks, asshole. I had to speed up and see, I want to see what this asshole looks like. He looked just like the church lady. And I I just immediately had that thought of, oh, I bet you're all about being nice on Sunday. But when it came to getting on the freeway, now I have the right of way. You know, here in California, people scoot over and let people on just because, you know, why not? But I don't know. It's just funny that you mentioned that because because the uh, the contrast between what they are supposed to be doing and what they are doing is sometimes really shocking. You know, it's sometimes I think you know if, if Jesus ever comes back, he's going to be like, "Who are you people? What are you doing?" Yeah. Like, <laughs> I so, sincerely think that if I think if Jesus ever decided to come back, that he'd actually be hanging out with our asses saying, you know, critical thinking is so important. Glad you guys have not abandoned it because apparently remember, they have. Yeah, remember you who know? he hung out with. He didn't hang out with the, yep. the other super religious folks. He hung out with everybody else. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry I'm you're going through this horrible experience. There's something about when absolute worst and, you know, old resentments come bubbling up and become weapons and sometimes people that can't um, they aren't comfortable experiencing grief. They transit into anger and lash out. And just people do so much weird stuff after somebody dies. It's just a big trigger. And often it's like, well, here comes all the family dysfunction. And um, I think one of the main things is people that. kind of lose. <laughs> You're welcome. I, I think people lose the ability to empathize when they're, in the thick of grief, they they don't have remember how might that person feel. It's just not there. Yeah, but you know what? Here's here's the thing though. This is not new. This is not new behavior for my mother. This is just behavior now. Someone else finally, after me saying stuff about this my whole life, someone else is actually starting to see firsthand at what she's really like, and it's grubby and it's. Disgusting. And it's not any different from who she has been her entire life. Everybody's like, well, she's old, or 
Well, she just lost her sister. I'm like, let me tell you a little story about my mother. When my father died, my mother and I were sitting at the kitchen table, and we were telling jokes and laughing and carrying on. The minute her phone rang, she turned into the most pathetic widow you had ever heard, like no one else in the world had ever lost a husband except for this woman. The minute she would hang up, man, she'd go back to laughing and joking with me like the phone call hadn't happened. I'm sorry, that kind of Oscar-winning performance is not even human. That is a fucking machine. And I will tell you, my mother is a fucking machine. And she finally showed it to somebody else for the very first time. Somebody else got to witness it. And all I can say is I felt terrible for my cousin who thought that my mother, you know, was just misunderstood or just old and, you know, maybe losing it a little bit. Oh, no, 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 no. She's as cold and calculating as the day is long, and she has not changed a single iota in the last 80-plus years of her life. So this whole act of, oh, my sister, I'll never eat or drink again. I'll never take my medication again. Bullshit. Right after the funeral. (laughs) Right after the funeral. Her caregiver was going through a drive-thru, and she rolls down the window, and my mother's like, what's that I smell? What's that I smell? And her caregiver turns to her and says, well, since you're not eating anymore, I'm still hungry. I want to get something to eat. Would you like some of mine? And my mother says, no, I think I want one of my own. Oh, so much for the whole mother love and sacrifice. I'm never going to eat again. I'm never going to take my meds again. Oh, please. It didn't even last five hours. Stop. These acts are so fucking ridiculous. Listen, I was raised in the Pentecostal church, and I see the bullshit, and I've always seen the bullshit. And I have so many people tell me all the time, yeah, but, you know, you just have to, you just have to look to Jesus. I'm like, you know what, I'm not going there with you. I've seen too much. I, and this is coming from people who have no idea about the inner workings of the church and its people. Again, I'm not saying that all Christians are shit, but I will tell you most of the ones I've met are 99.9% are all liars it's, and scammers. It's one thing, and you know listen, the one, that, it's one thing to want to do better and want to live a faith. I live my faith. My God say yes. My God say no. It's at their whim. That's my loyalty. Those are my deities. That's my choice. All Gods are not all good or all bad. They are what they are. They make the judgments they make. Again, sometimes they say yes. Sometimes they say no. But that's the way it is. I just hate that holier-than-thou shit, don't you? The the worst one is that, that, I I guess because I've had many opportunities to experience grief in my life, the one that gets Mm -hmm. to me is, we'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. Really? Uh Flipping good, that's going to do for me. Or I'll see somebody else lost a child or their house burned down. We'll pray for you. Really? That's, That's right up there with when all the politicians give their thoughts and prayers to everything. If I hear yeah. thoughts and prayers one more time, I'm going to barf. <laughs> but Terrible. yeah, the, the, the hypocrisy is really 
frustrating and shocking. I mean, I'm I'm a uh, an expat when it comes to Christianity. I I walked out on it. Uh, let's see, holy cow, maybe 1992, 93, somewhere around there. But it was it was um, here in my little town. You know, Christianity was like that was kind of the only game in town, and. I hadn't found my pagan past any sort of way yet. I knew I was different, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't have any vocabulary, I didn't have any tools to figure out why do I not fit in. But right. there was one day when I was driving my kids to church, and they were going to talk about how they were going to go on a big campaign to ban books. I mean, ban books like, you know, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings and Catcher in the Rye, and I went, I'm a writer. I don't I don't believe in this and I just kept driving and I never went back. And um it's it they called me for weeks, like, We missed you in church. There's another bullshit statement. We missed you in church when the pastor says that to you, he doesn't miss you. He wants to know why you weren't there and he wants an answer right now. There was no missing involved and you know, it's little by little I kind of wrenched free from it, but it did leave a really bad taste in my mouth. And over the years, you know, I've, I've had to recognize it's it's not Jesus I have a problem with. It's his followers. Not all of them. I know lots of good Christians, but I know lots of bad ones, yeah. too. And, you know, you can't talk out of both sides of your mouth. At least pagans will say, you well, <laughs> the best I can. Some days I screw up. Some days are good. Some are bad. But you won't get the holier-than-thou angle. And... um I just have a problem with any holier than thou. So um, I just, I just, I, I empathize with your pain and frustration because when that kind of behavior comes from your own mother, I had a very mm-hmm. cold mother. She was the woman of the 50s. She was a one of the first women to become a physician, but yet she was still expected to have kids. And I don't think she ever wanted kids. I know for certain she didn't want me. And my dad wanted oh, her to have same. kids, and she she plowed through it, and she had kids, but she had zero interest in kids. My mother never said I love you to me until she was on her deathbed, literally on her deathbed and on heavy medication. I only heard her say it one time in my whole life. And so I had to go back and pick through what happened here. And the conclusion I came to, it's like, you know, take your emotion outside of it, she didn't want to have kids. She was forced to have kids. She and I um, didn't get a lot. We were spiritually not the same people, just as incompatible as we could possibly be. And I finally had to face the ugly fact. She didn't love me. And that was that. And the hard part is separating your anger from it and just looking at it as a fact. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's a black rock. She didn't love me. But the problem then, you can get to the point where you can separate and say, okay, it just is what it is. This is this is the card I was dealt. She didn't want me. That's that. But when your own mother doesn't love you or treat you well, yep. It's, yep. It's, like, it's like you've been flashed across the face with a knife and it leaves yep. an ugly scar. And you see it yep. every day. The scar might not hurt, but it's there every day and that little thread runs through your mind well. Your own mother didn't even love you or anybody else. Yeah. That poison yeah. that gets in there, it's really yeah. rough when it's your own mother. And 
she she died when I was 27. I'm now 64. Mm-hmm. And I still yeah. have anger over this about, you know, wh- why was I so hard to love? Why couldn't you love me just a little? You know, but it just know. It, it wasn't there. It was what it was. So I empathize Absolutely. with your pain. It's painful. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, and I have no problem saying this stuff out loud because I just don't care. And I know it's not just me. But when my parents got married, it was because my mother was pregnant. And my father only wanted a son if he was ever going to have a child. My mother didn't want to be pregnant. And my father was extraordinarily abusive in every possible way. And my mother let it all happen. So, And I used to say to my aunt, the one who just passed away, why? Why did she even bother? Why, why didn't she give me up for adoption? Or why didn't she take any other route? And basically, I was a convenient tool to get her away from her own mother and into her own home and made my father marry her. So it's like all I was was a vehicle for my mother to get from point A to point B. And once my father saw that I wasn't male, um, my life was going to be shipped from, from then on. Here's the interesting part. My father was so abusive, I had always put my mother in the victim uh, position because she was terrified of him. And it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I realized, oh, no, 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 she's no victim. She let, not only did she let this happen, but she would throw me at him so that the attack would be on me instead of her. She used me as like a human shield against his anger and violence and the horrific things he would say and do. So, yeah, it's just remarkable how these things stay with you, how they inform your relationship, um, and it takes so long to break that cycle. You know, when I when I was with my mother last week, I said to her, do you understand why I had more than one child? And she said, why? And I said, because if I turned out to be as psycho as my old man, I wanted my kids to at least have each other so that they would know we're not crazy. It's her. She's the one who's batshit. Well, I mean, I am batshit, but not like my <laughs> old man. But, but this is exactly why I had more than one child, because I was terrified that if I went crazy like him, that they would... If I only had one, they would suffer by themselves and and be terrified and have no one to talk to or relate to. Because anyone I tried to see what was happening in my house when I was a kid, you know, a lot of the times back then, kids were not believed. I'm 61, almost 62. And, you know, parents stood together. It didn't matter back in those days as well you know. It was very hard to get an adult to believe a child. Oh so yeah, we we suffered a lot of bullshit because no one would take our side. You and I, don't you think? Did you have sympathy? Oh, uh, you have sympathy? I do. I did have a younger sister, but um, my dad had he was a World War II veteran and came wow. out of it horrifically PTSD, which led to alcoholism and a lot of emotional instability. And I really relate yeah. to. You know, he thought people were always out to kill us. So I grew up yeah. hearing that 
anytime you step out of the house, somebody's going to grab you. And so this this insanity spiraled and spiraled, but I really related to what you said about your mother not protecting you because my mother knew it wasn't true, and she went along with it, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. and he got sicker and sicker and, and sicker. I mean, he would he would um, he would, he'd do scary shit. Like he would he would come to our bedrooms at night and say, "Shh, get under the bed." Because there's somebody outside, and you'd have this army rifle. There's somebody outside. I'm going to go find him. You stay under the bed. And we would scurry under the bed. And he would go outside and patrol. And I could see he carried a flashlight, see the flashlight still to this day, going across the window when he was looking for people that weren't there. And my mother knew. This is see, my resentment coming up. Damn it, she knew. And she didn't say, your dad's got this problem. Those things aren't really happening. There aren't people out to get you. No, she went along with it because it was easier, you know. So, and when I in high school, (laughs) these these topics are crossing again. We had this organization in high school called Campus Life or Young Life, one one or the other. I forget which it was, but it was Christian-based. And there was one guy that was the leader and I didn't know who to go to because I had, I, in my little um, teenager head, I called my dad's psychiatrist one day while he was beating up my mother. And I said, this is happening. And he said, well, what do you want me to do about it? I, I don't know. Wow. I, you're his doctor. I thought maybe you would do something about it. <laughs> but he, but so I got nothing there. So I turned to the campus life counselor who was a senior in high school and I was a freshman and I said I I need to talk to somebody so we met at the local cafe for coffee one evening and I recounted what was going on in my house the who the the people are out to get us and the drinking and the the nonsense and the chaos and everything and um he looked at me and he said come on both your parents are doctors I know you're making all this up, and if you wanted me to ask you out on a date, you could have just said so. And I just wow. stared at him like, "You're you're so far off base." I am I am literally mm-hmm. having this trauma. So that was the last time I sought out help, and it it became sink or swim. Every every child for themselves, sink or swim. And you know, over over the many years of of looking at the whole thing, I recognized my dad was very sick from the war, very sick. And alcoholism didn't help. But I can I can give my dad a pass. He had some legit reasons to have the problems he had. But my mother, it's like, yeah. so what's your excuse? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. What the hell? So it, it just goes to show you can be decades later. You can be, I am now older than both of them. And yeah. um, I still don't get it. You know, you look back and go, I don't get it. I, it seems like I should have been a child that a mother could have loved. But, but you know, there's yeah. good things that come out of it. Like you had your kids, you wanted them to have each other. Well, I had the fashion yep. don't of parents. And I, I made sure I said <laughs> to my kids, I love you every day. I told them that every day they get they get sick. I know, you love us. <laughs> You know, but uh, yep. it taught me what not to be. 
it didn't give me a very good template. I wouldn't. I would give myself a C plus as a parent. But talk about fumbling in the dark. You know, I had kids before there was internet, and I had no mother yep. template, and I had family around. So literally Same. just winging it. You know? so, Same. Yeah. Same. No internet. Yeah. No. You know, I I read as many books as I could get my hands on, but I had no yep. template. I had. You know, when my kids were born, their grandmother never showed up. Their grandmother never, my grandmother, my grandmother, my mother never even kept my kids for two hours by herself. Never. Never, ever, never, ever. Not once, not ever. They they never stayed over at her house. She, you know, at the point that my father passed away, which was 24 years ago, and my kids are in their early 30s, their grandmother could have been a force for good in their lives, but she refused to be bothered. She refused to come and visit. I even said to her at one point, why don't you sell the house in New York? You can get a, a house here in North Carolina, and you'll get much more bang for your buck. Well, that was back then. Um, and we'll be, you know, we'll be close. There's a church on every corner if you want to preach, and there is. Um, but she flatly refused. She's never going to leave New York. She's never going to leave New York. That's her house and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but it's a house in New York. You could outright pay for your next house here. Wouldn't hear of it. Absolutely refused and said, well, I can't leave my friends and I can't leave my sister. Her sister is the one who just passed, obviously, because everyone else in the family is either dead. I'm down here. My cousin's further down in Florida. So, there's not, it's not like she had family all over the place. One would have thought she'd want to be near her grandchildren. But that's just not the kind of person she is. She just doesn't love that way. What she loves, what my mother loves is money. And that's become quite apparent as every day has passed during my life. But that is all she really fucking cares about because she doesn't obviously care about me because when I was getting beaten by the father of my children, husband number two, I actually had the nerve to ask her if I could come home with my kids to escape, and she said no. That's oh not a good idea, because my father was still alive, and my father hated me, and my father was, you know, my father did not have the excuse of being in a war. My father was just nuts, and not fun, not nuts, ha-ha, like literally certifiably bipolar, manic-depressive, all completely undiagnosed and untreated because they didn't know those words back then. They labeled him as a quote-unquote nervous person. So, of course, Mm -hmm. in my house, and tell me if you had this too, there was the wall of pills. Like there was a closet devoted, the linen closet had a metal rack installed on it so that my father could put all of his two-in-alls, second-alls, Valium, Quaaludes, Every kind of depressant, every kind of blood pressure medication and cholesterol medication. And listen, my father's the first person I cast a spell on. I did a witch's ladder to kill him, but I only put him in the hospital because I was young and stupid and didn't know what I was doing. But true enough, that's exactly what happened. And, you know, I was just so terrified that his illness. Because I didn't know when he first became ill. All I knew was that my entire life he was sick. But I always think, well, maybe you were normal at some point. I mean, I was a kid thinking this. Obviously, some people are born with certain genetic modifications. It happens. Um, but, yeah, my father was the most brilliant, smartest, most clever, best 
singer could speak nine languages fluently and the most dangerous person. They sound so much alike. My dad spoke five languages. Yeah. Because, and they're brilliant, and that's how they twist things around, and that's how they get into your brain, and that's how they manipulate you and the world around them. But it's like a parasite. Yeah. I'm sorry. Say it again. He, he was, my dad was like that, too. The, the, the emotional manipulation was something, yeah. was really something. Yeah. Um, so you would say morning, and it would be, even a simple good morning could could be turned into an argument very artfully. And you would Right, you learn to walk on eggshells and, and you learn to be invisible. You learn to be like a mouse running the side of the wall to not attract attention. <sighs> that was the thing in our house. Don't attract any attention because it could be very bad. Better to be invisible. Yeah. I am the master of invisibility. <laughs> Watch me disappear into this wall. <laughs> so but it, it sounds like you know you you and I have so much in common. I mean, you, we have yeah. when you have this whole your whole foundation in life is trauma. It just yeah. takes a long, long time to get some distance and look back on it and go, well, that that was hell. And I don't think you ever ha- get out of the traumatic um, young life unscarred. There's there's cer- certain things that still happen. One one thing that still happens to me. If someone yeah. yells at me, my brain freezes. Mm-hmm. I'm just like a deer in the headlights. And I, I, I recently saw this program on brain anatomy that said in some people, there's literally a place in your brain that will freeze and decide fight or flight. Or if you're the deer, stand there and get hit by the car. But I went, you know, you get an actual biological response from trauma. And... And that's still with me. I still have trouble with that one. If somebody yells at me, it's about all I can do to take a breath and respond to it, to it immediately. I'm really good at five days later figuring out what I should have said. But dealing with something right now on the spot, being immediate, that's a big challenge for me because my brain freezes up. It says, God, just hold still. Maybe you won't get hit. <laughs> it's... it's you spend the rest of your life trying to unravel all that stuff and and hopefully not repeat it, like not, not let it be a legacy, you know, mm-hmm. but let yeah. it just be what it was and um, live anyway. <laughs> what else can you do? And try not to repeat the mistakes. I, I still to this day, when I'm stumped by a decision, I'll think, mm-hmm. what would my mother have done? And then I do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Still my you know, my mother. Though. My mother is still a fantastic actress because my mother could almost convince you. See, my mother, a very intelligent woman, but not nearly as crafty and diabolical as my father. Just crazy. Just but always crazy. Not like old age crazy. My mother pretends that she doesn't know things that she absolutely knows. For example, my mother very conveniently forgot the conversation where I asked her if I could come home because my ex-husband was visiting me. That didn't happen in her head. I'm like, really? Well, what about this conversation that you were standing there for? What about that conversation that you were standing there for? And she conveniently doesn't remember anything unless it pertains directly to her because then she wants to tell you about, you know, all the shitty things he did to her. 
And I'm like, yeah, but you were supposed to be the adult protecting me, not the other way around. That's and the rub, she right? Asked, there. <laughs> really, it's like that's your job, your fucking first job as a parent. Protect your child. Mm-hmm. Protect your child. You know, when my ex-husband, the last time my ex-husband hit me, and I had called my mother and I said, can I come home? And she had said no. The next thing I thought was I have to figure out how I'm going to get my kids away from this guy, not because he was going to hit them, but because I didn't want them to think he was an acceptable example because he wasn't. So that's like, I mean, that's just my first marriage was, yeah. Yeah. Just crazy. But anyway, enough about that. We could talk about that for two hours, couldn't we? Holy shit. Yeah, we probably should, like, sit out on the porch with a bottle of wine and just purge all this stuff. (laughs) Here he is. But, you know, know, to play this into your book, because touch is so healing, or it could be so healing, especially for folks like us who have been so emotionally damaged, what do you have as a suggestion? And the book is really beautiful, by the way, because you talk about crystals and you talk about oils and you talk about having a buddy to practice on and having a buddy practice on you. What do you say for folks who don't necessarily have somebody that they can work through these exercises with? That's, that's really hard. Now, bear in mind that the, 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 the gist of the book is to learn to give massage to somebody else. Right. So it's it's thing to provide for friends, family, a child. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a buddy to practice on, then your loved one or friend will have to do. <laughs> but okay, you, you do <laughs> sort of you sort of you have sort of need a, a body to work on to to learn the moves. That said, right. um, learn the magical spiritual piece of all of this, and just with your touch, just touch by itself can soothe you know um i will say one thing about you know the the christian thing of the laying on of the hands i don't know if they're passing miracles or not but they did have that right laying on of the hands can can do wonders so Mm -hmm. um the thing is though if you if you start checking around with your friends you say hey i have this massage book and i want to learn how to do this, would you? Could I give you free massage for a while? And most people are like, "Oh yes." <laughs> when can I come? Uh, yeah, no. So, very few people will say no. That's for sure. Nobody's going to say no to that. So, so think about coworkers, friends, family members, relatives. You know, cast cast yeah. a wide net. And if nothing else, um, if you can find another person who also has this need, then you can learn together. You know. Um, you can find, especially if you have like a parent in a nursing home, you're going to meet other people yeah. that are struggling with this. Yeah. Or if you have a small child, you go to to, to um, parenting classes, you're going to meet other parents. Like, for example, um, parents who have kids with autism spectrum disorder. Frequently there's yeah. a support group or there's a network and somebody could say, you know, I think this could help my child, but I need someone to practice with. Anybody interested? Um, I know as in my training when I went to massage school, anybody I said, "Could I could I practice massage on you?" They're like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> I'm on the table now. You, I I never had a shortage of volunteers. 
uh, strongly recommend you have a volunteer. If it's just not possible, then, you know, you can go bit by bit with your loved one and, and start the easy places. Start with the hands, start with the head, start with the feet, start with the shoulders. You know, those those things are, are, are safe spots, but especially a hand, you know, just start with holding a hand and feeling yeah. the warmth and feeling the energy. Feel, you can slowly feel between the bones. This is, this is one of the really basic things about um, providing massage is learning where the bones are and going between them. If you, if you run your, your thumb and forefinger over the, over your hand between the bones, you'll feel the soft groove between the bones and you can feel it in your forearms. Those are the places you want to go. So even if you had a small percentage of the skills, you could still really provide comfort to someone. Um, particularly, you know, the elderly in rest homes, um, I started researching about, you know, the averages with the elderly in rest homes, but one, one of their main problems is they're starving for touch. Just starve for it. Yeah. They, they're, they, they become not a person but a thing, and um, they're handled like a thing I have to wash, a thing I have to feed, a thing I have to t- change the diapers, they lose their sense of being a human being rather than a thing that somebody takes care of. And so the touch that they do get, that it doesn't have any love or healing. You could I remember my massage teacher saying that you could have an excellent massage therapist who didn't have healing, loving intentions, and you could have your your spouse who had zero massage training put his hands on you or her hands on you and it would provide more healing than the therapist who had no feeling for you at all. So you, you pick up emotional intention and vibration from people. You know, sure, sometimes you see a massage therapist because you have a specific injury and you're not there to be, you know, soothed and taken to another level. That's, that's a particular kind of massage, and that's not really what I'm talking about. That kind of massage is necessary too. But the, the kind in this book specifically is about how do I create this warm, safe place for this person to relax and allow their body to heal and allow them to receive healing energy from the universe. And um, it's it's not going to turn you into a massage therapist, although it may interest some people. They may go, hey, I kind of like this. I think I want to go to massage school. That's a possibility. So you won't read the book and have a certificate in anything, and you won't read the book and legally be able to go charge and give massage or call yourself a massage therapist. But what you can do, well, you'll be the most popular person at every family gathering. That's for sure. No doubt. Every party. (laughs) Yeah. There's there's so many reasons why people you know might need massage. I mean, just, just not... Uh, drowning in despair from the way the world is right now. You could get a buddy like, are you screwed? Are you like stressed about the world between the climate and the politics and the war and the this and the that and the COVID and on and on and on? Yeah, I'm stressed too. Well, let's learn to do this. We could we could trade and help each other relax because, you know, let's face it, massage is expensive. I think it's worth every penny, and I go every week myself. I practice what I preach, but. Um, not everybody can afford it, and that's really the other gist of this book is it's a shame that everybody can't afford it. In, in India, 
when I took Ayurveda massage, I learned that it's considered health maintenance and it's part of life. And family members routinely give each other massage. You can you can go by in the streets in some of the cities and they have little kiosks where you can go in and get an Ayurvedic massage. It's it's just recognized as necessary for health. And I think our country could do well. Can you imagine if everybody got a massage every week, what a better country it would be? <laughs> Tell me about what how you that? got involved in massage in the first place. <laughs> how I got massage in the, in the first place. I got divorced. So <laughs> oh. I I was working as a newspaper editor full time and I had two young kids and my first marriage um I finally came to realize I was in a burning house and either I was going to get myself out of the house or I was going to die. And I got out of the of that marriage just like you were saying I I didn't want to be the kind of woman that my kids watched being abused and learned that this behavior was okay. It wasn't okay. So I got out. So I got out and then I went, well, you know, the only the only profession you can make less money at than than journalism is a job where you say you want fries with that all day. <laughs> it's, it's terrible pay, terrible terrible pay and high stress. And um, I I wasn't going to make it on the one income. And I thought, well, what else can I do? And mm-hmm. I thought I don't want to be at the computer more. I'm already at a computer all day. And ironically, right. I had just written a story about a guy here in town that did massage and he little did a little back demo on me a back massage because I said I don't don't know what that's all about and I thought back to that and I went well that was kind of interesting maybe I could do that that's about as far away as you can get from journalism it's the polar opposite (laughs) end of the world um, turns out there was a great massage school right in the next town over and I went over and checked it out and you know, one thing led to another, and I just, I, it was one of those feelings, sometimes the universe gives you the little the little gut tap, that door is open, jump through it, jump now, you know, like, like I guess it's kind right. of like skydiving, jump now, you get the urge to jump, and I got the urge, and usually when I followed that urge, it, it usually turns out good, I've had a few big disasters, the, the first marriage, <laughs> top of that list, but yeah. um, I just, I think I was just drawn to it. I was I had just turned 40 and I was I had I had it was about maybe mm, 6 or 7 years out from being involved in the Christian church and still spiritually searching and I had start I had started to discover a few pagan things between church and that point and I was it's like was opening my eyes to there are other ways to feel and other ways to be and other ways to live and I want to find out all about that stuff. And massage at that point in my life and paganism, they, they kind of grew up together in my life. But um, it just it just appealed to me. I think, you know what it was? When you're on a massage table um, yeah. and there's another person working on you, you're finally safe. Nothing bad can happen to you there. It's like that was such a big deal to me to feel safe even if it was just for an hour somebody's going to take care of me for an hour and you know my mother as we mentioned was not she didn't want kids she was not affectionate she didn't touch us or anything or hold us or any of that stuff so to have touch it's like 
oh, my God, I've, I've been starving for touch my whole life. And not sexual touch. I knew all about that. Right. But this, this yeah. kind of touch that said, you're safe. Under my hands, nothing bad will happen to you. And that feeling is really precious. If you've had a traumatic background where you didn't feel safe with the people who should have kept you safe, it's one of the ways massage is a really healing experience. That's pretty incredible. I, um, I've had massage for injury before, but it's very rare that I can afford to stop and get a piece of massage to get one. But I think I'm going to have to figure it out because you're right. It's even, even when it was for um, kind of like more of a corrective massage, um, mm-hmm. I did feel safe. It is interesting that you say that. Safety is a very big deal with people like you and me. Um, and I think most it's, it's people, because it is, and as I've gone through life, you know, we talk about these extreme circumstances of abuse, and it's, it, it kind of sucks, but I've, I've come to realize that we're more the rule than the exception. There's actually very mm-hmm. few people who have not been abused, and it just, when I realized that those numbers were really starting to turn in such a horrible way, I'm like, no, we're not actually the rarity here. There's there's Mm-mm. more people like us who could benefit from from massage and and safe touch uh, than not. So yeah, I think it's a wonderful thing you're you're helping people learn about that they can do in the safety of their homes or a quiet corner of an office. You know, if you have a friend who's willing. I actually do have a friend who will be willing as soon as I tell her that. Um, I mean, if you imagine, imagine, let's say yourself feeling stressed. So if you imagine, okay, I'm just sitting here in this chair and someone's going to take their warm, soft hands and just smooth my hair from my forehead to the back, pull my hair and smooth it down you can imagine feeling relaxed already. Just If I just sat mm-hmm. still and someone just did this to me, you know, and and for people that touch, besides trauma, people that have had traumatic touch, like sexual abuse survivors, rape survivors, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to learn to be touched in a safe way is a big deal, you know, because you kind of, especially if you've been traumatized by that, you kind of extrapolate to, all touch could be dangerous. Like, do I ever really relax? Sort of like I have mm-hmm. clients with fibromyalgia. So with fibromyalgia, their nerve endings perceive touch as pain. And right. you'll, some massage therapists feel like, no, I need to get in there and dig at that. No, you really don't. If that person says it hurts, then it hurts. And so fibromyalgia people, I, what I, I tell some of them, I said, I'm going to pretend you're a bubble and I can't break it. And they, they over time, this is the great part, my fibromyalgia people that have been with me for a while, their bodies and nerve endings slowly discovered touch isn't pain. Um, this is okay, you know, and they became desensitized to it. But I've had people almost in tears tell me about massage therapists that they didn't really believe their fibromyalgia and, you know, proceeded to do this anyway. It really hurts me when I hear a massage therapist proceed like that because 
it's supposed to be about the person, not your own ego that says, well, I need to work this knot out. No, you don't. You can you can work that knot another day and give the person what they need, you know. So once again, Absolutely. ego is the thing that gets in the way. And I think that, you know, once you've established a real relationship and a person feels safe with you, they may be willing to work through that trauma with you. But if you're yeah. just going to go in and be like, well, this is what we have to do, that person's not going to return. And that's actually what happened to me, not because of fibromyalgia, but because I have a level of damage that, you know, when I go for uh the times that I've gone for massage, um, so one of the first things they've wanted to do is twist my neck, <coughs> oh, which huh. for me is completely traumatizing. You, you know, most people, when someone does that quick twist of the neck on them, they love it, and they hear all that cracking sound. I detest You had the massage sound, therapists when, do this? Yes. Yes. That's that's try to, illegal. Yeah. It's not even legal for them to do that. That's chiropractic. That's it is. crazy. Uh, but, well, but it has happened to me. And I guess this guy yeah. just thought he knew how to how to straighten out my neck. And, you know, and he did it once, and then he did it again another time. And I wound up on the floor in tears because the pain was excruciating, and I actually stopped going to massage therapy because of it. That is but awful. Yeah, but everyone's <laughs> not a jerk. I just I just happen no. to have some experiences with jerky guys. I mean, what can I say? I've been married three times. You're the magnet um, for that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, yeah, you know, at my age, I'm glad I'm not a magnet for anything anymore except for, like, the normal treats. And, I mean, I still can't <laughs> turn my head, but, like, an inch the direction but um, yeah yeah you need you need a real chiropractor that knows what they're doing a massage therapist is not a chiropractor they, they you could paralyze you if they don't know what they're yeah, doing that's well, not message <laughs> yeah it's definitely not the same thing um so if so anybody tries any they, what was that go for what i was gonna say go don't for, let anybody practice for, on you no no that you should Massage therapists are not supposed to adjust the neck and spine. We can stretch yeah. things and bend things, but um, we're not supposed to be doing that. It's not a license for chiropractic, so no. Um, there are some, some modalities that are rough, you know, like shiatsu can be painful and deep, and and um, Feldenkrais can be, you know, very manipulating the, the body, this and that, but they're not supposed to be doing chiropractic adjustments. But it, I would seek mm-hmm. out, if if you're a massage newbie or you've had a bad experience like that, ask if they do Swedish massage. And if you're real hesitant, say, I want a light Swedish massage. Which And, okay. and Swedish massage is the classic. Long, smooth strokes, soothing and slow. And um, that's a good, gentle place to start. If if they do sports massage or they say they do deep tissue, you're you're gonna get into some heavy work. So aim for the Swedish massage. <laughs> Until you at and, least are used to getting massage. I guess it's like don't jump into the deep end of the pool immediately until you know how to swim, huh? 
Well, yeah, get used to it and then find someone you like. I mean, you can find, they have massage therapists like in salons. It's not my favorite place to go. I call those people fluff and buff. And and the reason I don't like salons, first of all, you have to smell all the acrylic nails. And second of all, it's noisy as hell. And you need a quiet spot to sink into your massage. But I mean, it's, it's there. You know, it's available if that's all you have access to. But um, usually there are massage offices, you know, check those out, or, or 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 offices that are specific to massage and maybe acupuncture, that sort of thing. But if they do hair and nails in the same place, it's probably not going to be your best experience. But um, you may have to stop around a little bit. It's okay to go massage shopping, and, and it's okay to ask people, hey, you know, do you get massage? Where do you go? What happens? Is that is that a good place? And it may take you a couple tries, but it's like the best research you'll ever do. Go out and get massage until you find something you like. But um, oh, absolutely! You become um, it becomes your body becomes so adapted to it that by the time it's time for me to see my own massage therapist, I'm just aching. I, it's like I got to see her if she if she's on vacation. It's like no, and. You know, I have people, the people that come to me regularly tell me the same thing. It, it becomes um, part of your health care where you don't feel well if you don't get that massage and get that touch and, and the muscles relaxed and things like that. And, and it helps you live a better life, pain all the time and tight all the time. And, you know, if you have trauma or current or past trauma, a lot of times you, you hold that in a certain place in your body. Like if you have anxiety, I know I, I, I deal with it myself. When I'm really having anxiety, my shoulders creep up to my ears, and I have to think, okay, drop your shoulders down. But if you're not aware of how your body responds to emotional things, you might not be aware that maybe you're jiggling your leg all the time or you're sitting on your hands or you're grinding your teeth or you're scrunching up your shoulders or, or frowning your eyebrows. Um, all those things create stress in the body. And um, they, tell, they tell your body on a, on a biological level that we're not safe or we're aggravated or we're not pleased, you know. So it's like a self-perpetuating loop. So you want to purge all that stuff. <laughs> Definitely. That's really interesting. I am... Um... Because you said you feel your shoulders go up, and I do the exact same thing. And I felt my shoulders go up, and I'm like, okay, well, I mean, in this moment. And I'm like, okay, put your shoulders back down. You don't need to raise those right now. Everything's fine. But, yeah, you and I are, like, way too much (laughs) on the same wavelength. Oh, my God. Deborah, we're – and I I know I talked your ear off for, like, most of the hour, but (laughs) – Tell folks, um, are you writing anything else now? What are you in the middle of? You must be writing something else. Got another contract with Llewellyn. Yeah. They're just so lovely and wonderful. I am writing a follow-up to Pagan Curious. So Pagan Curious was the beginner's book. This is the pagan community, and this is this stuff, and these are those people, and this is that practice. Here's all the stuff. And I had proposed an entirely different book, and my editor said, you know, you're all over the place. You wrote about horses and massage and pig, and she says, how about you stick with one track? I went, what? Pay attention and finish something? Really? 
But she gave me an idea. She said, do, do a follow-up to the, to the Pagan Curious book. And so I asked people who read it, I said, what would you want in another book? Because I was stumped. It's like, I, I, like, blew my whole wad in that book. Like, I don't know what else possibly I could write about. I wrote about everything. And one person said to me, well, I know what everything is, but now I don't know what to do with it. And I was like, bingo. So now I'm writing another book, the next step up. Now that you know what all this stuff is, Here's going to be some ways you can put it to use in your own life. Not that you have to go out and be in a ritual or go out and join a coven, but in your own daily life, how do you make all this happen? So that's that's coming up next. <laughs> cool. I'm very excited about that. And in the couple of seconds we have left, well, the minute and a half we have left, tell folks how they can find you. Oh, I have a website, DebraDiangelo.com. I am on Twitter as myself. I am on Facebook in two ways, Deborah D'Angelo and Garden Variety Pagan, which was going to be the title of Pagan Curious, but it's not. So I'm, I love to say I'm a Garden Variety Pagan. And I'm also Garden Variety uh-huh. Pagan on Instagram. So, yeah, that's me, little plain old average Garden Variety Pagan. Just a little happy yeah. little dandelion growing in the crack of the sidewalk. <laughs> That's so sweet. My mentor used to call us gardenias instead of gardenarians. He's like, we sort of follow the gardenarian tradition, but uh, not exactly. Um, Gardenias, I love it. Yeah, we don't like the sexism. We don't like the abuse. We don't like a lot of the shit from the olden days. So my mentor was like, yeah, we're not doing all that. So, yeah, I was kind of raised right so to speak. But anyway, Deborah, you are such a love to come and hang out with me and to put up <laughs> oh, with my family my bullshit. You're such fun, and I really appreciate it. Will you come back and hang out with me for your next book? I absolutely will, or any other time, or just for no reason at all. I wish you'd live next door. Love it. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, we would get into so much trouble. Girl, please. Are you kidding? So much trouble. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I, I, it's my middle name. All right, guys. That's it for today. The book, again, is Sacred Massage, The Magic and Ritual of Soothing Touch, Deborah D'Angelo. Go get a copy. Get it for somebody you love. Get it for somebody you like. They could turn into somebody you love. You never know. Anyway, <laughs> have, a, have a great week, everybody. Uh, Talison and I are off tomorrow night. He's still moving into the new house. So I'll see you next week. Take care.